out of order. I'm missing one, two, and three. You want to get an inspection? Here. The street in front? Two, one and two are missing. One and two are not missing. Do somebody have one and two? I don't have one. I may have given you something that didn't include one and two, and that really bothers me. What do you mean, H1 and 2? No, the uh, first one I've got is 3. I'm sorry. Well, this one's got contract 3 is the first one. First one's contract 3. Page 1 and 2 are missing. I'm sorry I had Delia print these and she missed them. They may be out of my car. Uh, one and two were important because I think one dealt with um, one dealt with uh, consideration. So let's just do a general discussion on what is consideration. Every every contract has to have consideration. To go back to that, let's go back to the first page. All right, it says, Mr. Jones, because you're 20 words, I hereby promise to change my will and leave you one half interest in the business. Jones subsequently decides to leave his business to his son and takes no action to change his will. After Jones dies, Smith sues and presents you with ten witnesses that heard Jones make the promise and saw him write and sign the written document that he would change his will and leave the business to his employee because of 20 years of faithful service. Do we have consideration for that promise? Those who are not trained, let venture a guess. You say yes. Okay. How many would say yes? I have a written promise. I have ten witnesses. I make that promise. How many would you say no? All right, you legally advise people. Why is it no? Go. Well, the past well, performance is past performance. It's not, uh, he doesn't get anything extra for it. There's no consideration because. Nothing new. Yeah, nothing new. Yeah. It's called past consideration. This person has been employed for 20 years and for 20 years has received his pay. Okay. So the employer making that promise has no consideration, is receiving nothing for his promise. An old case dealing with consideration came out of England. Uncle comes to his nephew and says, nephew, if you will give up gambling and alcohol, I will, till you're 21, I'll pay you 7,000 pounds. And the nephew does that. In the meantime, the uncle dies. The nephew, to make matters a little more complicated, assigns his right to the money to somebody else. And they sue the estate of the uncle. The estate of the uncle says no. The uncle received nothing. He got no benefit at all. The nephew. He got the benefit, he got a better life, he didn't drink, he didn't gamble away his money, we're not going to pay. So 
They take it to court. Is the estate going to win or lose? The uncle received nothing. Lose. First, yeah. I'd argue that the uncle did not receive anything. The fact is, he perhaps received status in the community, that his nephew wasn't an idiot. Uh, there's a lot of things that um, they, uh, on the his, his status in the community. Status in the community is a pretty intangible thing here. But I appreciate you coming. Yeah, go. All right. He, the uncle didn't receive anything, but the nephew gave up something he was legally entitled to do. Okay. Now, tell, him, tell the group what the consideration was. Uh, he, he, the uh, nephew giving up what he was legally entitled to do, that was the consideration because he, he could have smoked, he could have gambled, he, he, he had the free will to do that, but he gave that up, and by giving that up, that's considered consideration on his part. So consideration doesn't have to mean that I receive something if you give up something that you're entitled to do. So you make that, and I got exactly what I asked you to do, but you had to get, there had to be a detriment to you in order for there to be consideration. So we're always looking for consideration. Suppose I, suppose somebody, I said, look, if you will mow my lawn, you know, I just, I gotta have it mowed by Friday because my daughter's getting married out in the back and I need it mowed. The guy says, I can't mow it Friday. I'll, I'll give you a thousand dollars. I can't mow your lawn. I'll give you $10,000. I appreciate it, but I cannot mow your lawn. <laughs> he says, so he offers him 100000 bucks. <laughs> or the guy says, I'll tell you what to do. I'll, I'll mow your lawn for 100000 bucks." So he mows the lawn and doesn't get 100000 Is he entitled to 100000 for a one-hour job of mowing the lawn? Or Does consideration need to be fair? Anybody render a guess? Is it going to get us hundred thousand? No. No. Why not? Because it wouldn't be a fair consideration. Well, if he mowed the lawn, he mows the lawn that Friday, and says, "I want my hundred grand," and. Uh, and the guy says, look, this consideration is so out of whack, it's not fair, Your Honor. I'm willing to pay him 50 bucks, I'm willing to pay him 100 bucks, but you need to be, you need to exercise your responsibility to be fair. Did so, he, didn't he agree to pay the $100,000? He agreed to pay 100000 He agreed to that? Yes. That's the consideration is what they agreed to. Consideration does not have to be equal or fair. And the responsibility of the court is not to, not to change an agreement in the, in, by virtue of fairness. We can't do that. One of the precious rights that we have in this country is the right to contract. And the right to contract is the right to be an idiot as well as as to be very good at, at what you're doing and so fairness has nothing to do about it 
that basically the conscience of the court though the case that we get all the time in justice court is the interest rates on contracts that are 250 percent a lot of judges won't sign those uh, judgments because they it shocks their conscience to unconscionable have interest rate and some judges will sign such contracts yes some will and some will not now there's another issue for those who are not legally trained. Sometimes when we talk about what we call contracts of adhesion, means that you're not in a position to bargain. And some of these, when you're desperate for money, you're the only place you can get, you only can get place you can get money under the circumstances you have to do this and this. Contracts of adhesions, sometimes the court can say, I'm gonna give you some relief on this. And uh, again, as if it's so bad it shocks the contract. But when the court does that, the court is saying, "Just be, you're, you've been an idiot, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump in and help you." But the people on the other side who have a written contract don't think that's fair, because the person who enters into a contract has the right to the benefit of making their own contract, and they have the duty to suffer the detriment of making their own contract. But there is a principle uh, that it shocks the conscience. Okay, let's finish that on the, the bottom page. In a contract case, the primary duty of the court is to find all the elements. No contract can exist without a legal remedy in the case of a breach. Understand what that means? No contract can exist unless there is a legal remedy. I love you, Mary. I love you so much. I promise, because of the way I feel, I'm going to make you my heir. Or I promise, I, I love you so much. I own 10 Cadillacs, I'm gonna give you two. Next Wednesday, come to my house and I'm gonna give you two. Okay, is that enforceable in any way? How many feel that that promise is enforceable? Anybody? Good. Promise is not enforceable first because no consideration. No consideration. There's no legal remedy for a promise without consideration. What if she has sex with him? Has she given up something? Only if he, if it's quit, quit pro quo. <laughs> <laughs> Try proving that. Be okay with 200 bucks. <laughs> okay. Let's go to, let's go now to uh, contract number three. Okay, the Raji contract and agreement contract exists. There must be acceptance of the offer, consideration, and terms so specific that the contract can be determined. Okay, so how many things must you find in order to grant a remedy? Must be an offer. Okay, I don't know whether two would dealt with an offer. An offer is something that that gives the other person the power to accept it. 
and there has to be, quote, an offer. If I say, you know, if you offered me enough money, I would, I will, uh, I will mow your lawn. And I say, okay, I'll offer you 50 bucks. Contract. You got a contract? I made an offer. If you offer me enough money, I will mow your lawn. There's an offer, right? I accept your offer. I'll pay you $50. Do we have a contract? What? No. Why not? I made an offer that was accepted, wasn't it? Not until he's no, done. $50 not until he's done cutting the grass. What? Not the price wasn't accepted. No, you worded it. If you offer me. And the one offering is offering let's fifty. Let's go up to the let's <laughs> go up to your Raji. Terms sufficiently specific. So the obligation created by the contract can be determined. Right. From what I've said, could you determine whether what what is it enough money? No. You can't determine if there's agreement here because there, there is a term that is undecided that's undecided. If I said, if you offer me a hundred dollars, I'll mow your lawn. I accept. Contract? Yes. Yes. Offer, acceptance, details enough to enforce it. Okay, let's run to four. So, right, the con the uh, instruction is simply an offer is a proposal to enter the contract on terms contained in the offer. Let's go down to the example. If you will mow my lawn, I will pay you for your services in an amount I feel is fair. Contract? If the parties do not agree upon what was fair, can the court make a decision and award the mower a, for, a fair compensation based on the testimony of five experienced lawnmowers? So they come to you and they say, Your Honor, I, if you will mow my lawn, I'll pay you for your services in the amount I feel is fairy, fair. Parties do not agree. One is fair. Can the court make a decision? And, and they, before the lawn is mowed, and I back out and I say, You know what? I don't want to do it. No contract anyway. Suppose I say, if you agree to mow my lawn, I'll pay you, well, let's see, I'm trying to think, I'm going to get ahead of myself here. Let's see.
All right, let's go to example two for a minute because I've lost my thought. George says to Mary, I think I want to sell my car. I would take 500 for it. Mary quickly says, sold. Here's the money. Is George bound to sell? Yes. No. No. First of all, something like this is controlled by the UCC. We're not going to talk about that. Just, oh, so is George bound to sell? Yes or no? No. no. Anybody say yes? Why isn't he bound? I think it does not constitute an offer. An offer. Doesn't constitute an offer because? He's just thinking. He hasn't made, I want to sell my car, I want to sell you my car. <coughs> I want to sell you my car for $500. I will sell you my car. An offer has to be in words that I can legally bound you by what you say. And if I'm thinking about doing something, I'm not. I will sell you my car for $500. I accept. I've changed my mind. And they come to you in court. What are you going to do? Ask Judge Judy to take the case. Who gets to keep the car? You're allowed to change your mind. No, you're not. <laughs> Why aren't you allowed to change your mind? And once I make an offer, it was accepted. I am legally, and it's accepted according to its terms. I am legally bound. I cannot change my mind. One of the problems that we talk about contracts and dealing with contracts when we get into written contracts is you're going to be faced with people who come in and say. I know we had a writing, but he promised to do this. We talked about it. No, I didn't promise to do that, Your Honor. Yes, you did. In fact, she promised to do this. And we're going to deal with that kind of situation. Okay? Next example. Tom says to George, if you will promise to mow my lawn on Friday, I will pay you $50. George says, Agreed. Who is bound to perform? Are both parties bound to perform or only one? George first and Tom. Neither. Has, uh, has George done anything yet? Neither. Well, George is going to cut the lawn. All George has done is promise to cut the lawn. He has a broken leg and he can't perform what he said he might do or that he would do. Well, there's there's contract law that takes care of that, but if you get many broken legged lawnmowers, let me know. <laughs> the question is are both parties bound to perform? No. George has not mowed the lawn yet. It doesn't matter. That isn't what the contract called for. That's if right. you read the conditions, it said that if you promise, he made a promise. End of story. Okay. A contract can be formed by acceptance by an act or acceptance by a promise. If George says to Roger, if you mow my lawn on Friday, I will pay you $50. 
Am I, with that offer, am I bound to mow the lawn? No. 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 I haven't did. But I can say, if you promise to mow my lawn on Friday, oh I will pay you $50. What I'm paying you $50 for is the promise to perform. So if it's a, what we call a contract for an act, the person, if, it's not, if he has not promised to do the act, can accept the offer only by performing the act. If you mow my lawn on Friday, I will pay you $50. That is an offer. That offer can be accepted only by the act of mowing the lawn. Therefore, there's no contract yet. There's an offer that can be accepted only by an act. If you promise to mow my lawn, contract, the offer is for a promise. All right, revocation of an offer. I'm not going to read the uh, Raji instructions. Uh, Let's go down, what? glance over them. You can revoke an offer at any time before the communication is accepted. An offer is revoked by giving notice of revocation to whom the offer is made by the lapse of time set forth in the acceptance or if no time is set forth, reasonable time, by failure of the person accepting the offer fill a requirement for acceptance by death and so forth. Example, Sam calls Roger and leaves a message on his answer machine. Roger, I will pay you $5,000 to paint my house. You have till next Friday to give me your answer. On Thursday, he changes his mind and leaves a message on Roger's answer machine, withdrawing the offer. Query, can the offer be withdrawn even though Roger has until Friday to us to respond. Saturdays of this. So I say to you, you have till Friday to respond to me. And Thursday I decide to withdraw the offer. Can I do that? Yes. Because I can do that up until when? Saturday. Up until it's accepted. Not so he accepts it on Wednesday. Or Thursday, I'm stuck. But the guy sitting back thinking, oh, I've got till Friday. I, I talked to a professor once who uh, got a great offer from a university. And he sat back and said, you know, I think I'll look at another university just because I've got some time to do it. By the time he did that, the university said, sorry, we withdraw the offer, we've hired somebody else. This guy's a personal friend of mine. He's a, he's a um, big scientist, but he, he, he didn't accept the offer. Okay, um, yes, go I, ahead. I ask you if you will paint my barn for $5,000. And you leap up and say, oh my God, yes, I'll do this. And I sit by Friday and you say, yes, I'll come over Friday and paint your, your bar for $5,000. Okay. It's Monday. So you come over Friday and you paint my barn all up 
And then I ask you, are you a registered contractor? Are you a registered painter? And of course you say, no, but you promised me 5,000. And I say, I'm sorry, here's 1,000. Goodbye. Well, you know, that's not true anymore. That's not true anymore. Licensed contractor, unlicensed contractor is entitled to receive the value of his work. So the agreement has to stand because that's a verbal contract. Not the contract doesn't stand. What the unlicensed contractor is entitled to get is the reasonable value of his work. If it is determined the reasonable value of his work is the amount of the contract, that's what he's going to get. I disagree. Not in Arizona. There's a, and the reason in Arizona that's not true is there a statute that says so. If there were no statute, then your interpretation would be correct. But in Arizona, there's a statute that says unlicensed contractor can't get paid. They can't resort to the court for pay. That's not true anymore in Arizona. There's a case law that's recently come down, and I just held a restitution hearing where the unlicensed contractor was paid almost 50,000 bucks, and the guy came in from California, wanted the restitution, and uh, presented no evidence to the court on the value of the uh, unlicensed contractor's work, didn't understand what he had to do, and, and the award was zero restitution. The evidence has to be, according now to the case law in Arizona, it used to be that you could not come to court, you could not use the court to collect their what they're due. In Sun City, it was not uncommon for gray-haired people in the know to hire an unlicensed contractor and say, thank you very much, are you licensed? No. Cheapers, creepers, I don't have to pay you. That's been changed. And now, if it doesn't make any difference whether it's good work or it's bad work, there is no contract. But there is, he is entitled to receive compensation for the, the amount of the value conferred by his services or her services. So you know when that was changed? Well, I read the case probably at least a year ago. I mean, I just I just looked at the the cases again. This this is this comes down from the Arizona courts. This is not this, this has been totally changed. Mr. Barnes, is was did they repeal then the statute that says an unlicensed contractor cannot bring an action to the court? All I'm going on is I read the case law. Okay. And the case law, as far as I'm concerned, is has been controlling on what the, uh, the the case specifically says. It is no longer uh, that there's no contract. But it's taken away the right of people to hire an unlicensed contractor, enjoy the benefits of their services, and then tell them to walk away and not have to pay anything. Because that's something that has happened in the past. Let's look at the next does example. Does anybody else know this case? Yeah. Well, look it up. 
I'll try to find it. You want to find it? I'll pull out the file I just just worked on. Roger Weiss and Salmon says I need I need to have my house painted before my daughter's wedding. I like your work. Pay you six thousand to finish it before May first. Let me know by next Friday if you will accept the job. On Saturday, Sam calls Roger and says I accept. Has the offer been accepted? Let me know by Friday. He does it on Saturday. Has the offer been accepted? There's all, and there's a question is time of the issue, and that's pretty well detailed. Like a contract or an offer can be can be made that says, I need to know by Friday, time is of the issue. Friday is, becomes an absolute deadline. Sometimes somebody will do it, if that's not in there, they'll call on Saturday and they say, I accept. And there's been some times where the court says, well, Friday was meaningless, it was a meaningless term, you had not revoked the offer, they still accepted it. I prefer to say that if you put a condition on there, I would enforce the condition. If you don't tell me by Friday, there is no offer. Let's go to number six, acceptance. Acceptance must conform to the terms of the offer. George says to Roger, I'll pay you 50000 to build me a new garage. Roger supplies a good offer, but I'll build it for fifteen eight. What else has happened? Has there been an acceptance? No. Counter what do we call it? Counter offer. So the guy who's going to paint has said something that now the other guy can legally accept. And if he accepts, I accept, the painter's bound. I will do it for 15.8. I accept. Contract. Because the offer is clear, unequivocal, states an amount, and makes his words that's perceptive. George says, Roger, I'll pay you 15 and build me a new garage. Roger says, good offer, but would you consider 15.8? George says, no. Roger quickly says, I accept. Does Roger, does Roger and George have a contract? Yes. Yes. Why? Well, they rescinded. What? The original offer wasn't rescinded. Well, <clears throat> what does a counter offer do? If somebody comes to me and says, "If you will pay my, if you pay my barn for fifteen thousand, I say no, but I will pay it for fifteen eight. No, I'm sorry, I can't afford that. Okay, I'll pay it for fifteen. Contract? Yes. 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 Let me say yes. No contract. What? The party receiving the service didn't agree. Well, they kind of rejected the first one and then yes. the first, and but then it, saying, unless you do this, but he's not agreeing. They didn't reject it. If you they? will pay my house, if you pay my barn, I'll pay you 15000 I will pay it for 15800 
can't afford that. Okay, I'll pay it for 15. Contract? The answer is there's no contract. A counter offer, a counter offer takes away the offer. It's no longer acceptable. No longer acceptable. Now let's look at that example again. No, I don't think he's right. I don't think he's right. George says, I'll pay you 15, good offer, but would you consider 15-8? George says, no. Roger says, quickly, I accept. Does Roger and George have a contract? Yes. <laughs> Do they have a contract? I yes. Yeah. Yes? Who say yes? Yes. Three of you are right. Why? He didn't, he didn't. He didn't ask the question. He didn't, he didn't make a counter. It wasn't a counter offer. He didn't make a counter What did he do? He just asked a question. He just asked a question. It was not a counter offer. You understand? Words count in what you're saying. So if you want, if you want to keep that offer open, but you still want to negotiate, you can negotiate by saying, don't say no. Before I say no, or before I say anything, would you consider this instead? He didn't say no in the first example, though. He just he didn't said, say no. That's right. The first didn't example. Say no. Yeah, but you said the first one wasn't a contract, and he said, "Good offer, but I will build it for 1580." Didn't say no. That's almost like a, a consider. A, would you consider building it for 1580? He didn't say, it, but he didn't say no. He just said, "Good offer, but I will build it for 1580." George says, good offer, but would you consider paying 15 days? George says, no, I won't consider that. But the offer to, to, the offer to do it for 50,000 still opens. Uh, let's go. Mary says, if you promise to paint my house, I'll pay you 12,000. John says, I accept. Is John bound by the promise? Yes. Mary telephones John, a painter, leaves a message. John is answering, if you paint my house on Saturday, I'll pay you 12,000. John immediately starts to buy some paint. Is John bound by contract to paint the house? No. Okay. Contract seven, consideration. All right. Considerations of benefit received or something given up or exchanged as given between parties. So if you're looking for consideration, you go to number seven. It defines what consideration is. Something benefit received or something given up or exchanged. Example, we've already done that. We've always done that. We've done example two. We've done example three. Example four, Richard says to Mary, who's just jilted by her boyfriend, would you consider selling me your ring? Typo there. Mary says, yes, I hate this ring. I will sell it to you for 10 bucks just to get rid of it, so he can't get it back. The following week, she returns and asks for the ring back, claiming that the $10 was inadequate consideration for a $3,000 ring, and Richard knew it when he made the offer. Query, can she get it back? Now, we no. kind of talked about this. Yes. You gonna get the ring back? No. no. Comes to you and say, Judge, $10 for a 3,000 ring is unfair. I was emotional, 
I didn't know what I was doing. I was mad at my fiance. I wanted to get back at him. You need to take this into consideration. I was not in my right mind. This is unreasonable. It's irrational. It's totally unfair. I need your help. Does it sound fair to you? What are you going to do? Can you give her any relief? What kind of relief are you going to give her anyway? <laughs> Say no contract? No contract because I don't like it? Because it wasn't fair? When we start doing contractual things and throwing in fairness, we can get off. She can't get the ring back. Okay. Pete says, sells Joe a car. Two late letters, Joe calls and complains the car doesn't run right. Pete says, bring it back and I'll promise I'll fix it. Two months later, the car is not fixed. Joe gets it, takes it to another mechanic and sues Pete for the cost of repairs he promised to make and failed to do. Should Joe get a judgment? Oh, come on, folks. That's a really, really easy one. Did Joe get a judgment? Yes. How many say yes? How many say no? You're all, the no's are right. Why? No specified time. Why? No consideration. Why? Say that again, Judge. There's no consideration. What's the consideration for the promise? The car's been sold. The amount's been paid. I'll promise I'll fix it. I make a promise. I make a promise to do something. Where's the consideration for the promise? There's no current consideration for the promise. The warranty. Gertrude hires Barbara to build her house for the sum of 129 grand. Barbara starts building but soon realizes she underbid the project. With the house two-thirds done, Barbara goes to Gertrude and says, I'm sorry. I cannot afford to complete this house for the amount of the contract. Unless you pay me an additional 5000 I have no option but to walk away from the project. Gertrude, in a panic, agrees to pay the additional amount. Query, when the house is finished, can Barbara collect the additional amount agreed to because Gertrude benefited from her continued performance? No. No. Yes or no? No. No because? No consideration. No consideration. The builder was already bound to complete the house per the contract for a definite price. Putting pressure on you by threatening to quit and demanding more money. And if you agree to pay more money for a duty which already exists, there is no consideration for that promise. Let's go to contract eight, modification. Gertrude asked Barbara to add a fireplace. It was not an original plan. There's no price to discuss. Barbara builds the fireplace and asks for 20 grand more. Query, is she entitled to the money since the price was not agreed upon and no modification of the contract was ever put in writing? Since he contract 24, but let's keep it. We're not gonna get through all of these. So, they come to court and they say, Your Honor, 
I'm suing for $20,000 because I put a con I put this in. Did you, to the homeowner, did she build a fireplace? Yes, Your Honor, she built a fireplace. What are you going to give her? The cost of the fireplace. On what basis? What? The cost of the fireplace, reasonable cost under unjust enrichment. Okay. Can you give her 20000 if that was what it was worth. Was 20000 ever agreed to? No. no. But there's been a benefit received by the homeowner. She knew when the fireplace was being built, it was extra. She knew that she was receiving value. She knew the person building the fireplace expected to be paid. Ergo court, in fairness, <coughs> you can award the person who built the fireplace reasonable value of their services. You're not enforcing a contract in this case, because there is, there, the details of the contract are, are such that there's no contract that you can enforce. But this is referred to as unjust enrichment, and you have the ability to form a, uh, uh, a remedy. Written contracts may in a limited circumstances be modified other than in writing if the parties indicate a clear intent to do so. Usually by fully performing alleged changes for which there is no disagreement. This is determined not by what they say, but how they have acted or performed. Whenever there's a conflict concerning the amendment of a verbal contract, the course must be guided primarily by what they have done how they have acted in performing the contract. So if you have a verbal contract and both parties are telling you this and this and this, you're guided, you have to take into account how they acted, not what they say, how they acted, how a person would interpret those actions, and how they, uh, yeah, and what they've done. So you, you go to the actions. You look for, and you have to determine what the uh, what their intent was, and so forth. Is that linked to the concept of um, um, ah, I forgot the term uh, substantial performance at all? Well, uh, not not exactly, and we may come to substantial performance. Substantial performance means that there has been a breach of the contract, and the remedy. Um, then you have to then you have to uh, get a remedy based upon substantial performance as opposed to insubstantial performance, and we will go to that. All right. Okay. Basically, whenever there's a written contract, there's what are called the parole evidence rule. Judge, tell them what the parole evidence rule is. You can't uh, introduce evidence out of, outside of the four corners of the contract. Okay. When people hand, hand you a written contract and they say, but your honor, we talked about this and we said, and we agreed to this and this and this. This is called parole evidence. Now to be absolutely sure that you cannot do that, you cannot change the writing, a good contract writer will say, no change to this contract be, can be made except in writing signed by both parties but the parole evidence rule should do that anyway. 
you don't, whenever there's a written contract, you never get stuck up on, he said, she said, he promised, she promised. It's the four corners of the contract. When the parties have signed it, when they've entered into an agreement, what they put in writing is, is more controlling than what they come down and say, well, I, I know, but we made, we changed, we changed this. With the exception that if there's a full performance, again, like I said, the, re the fireplace is not in the contract. I build a fireplace, I see you building the fireplace, I know you expect to be paid for the fireplace, just because we have not discussed the exact amount does not mean that I knew what was happening, I knew you expected to be paid, I took no action to stop you, therefore I'm going to be bound for the reasonable value. Kid from next door comes over and says, I know this guy likes to have his lawn mowed. So while you're away, he comes over and he mows your huge lawn and wants 20 bucks. Normally it'll cost you 100 to have the landscaper do it. You come home, the kid says, I mowed your lawn, all I'm asking for is 20 bucks. He's not getting Does it. the kid get paid? No. Why not? The owner didn't even know he was doing Hasn't it. Hasn't the owner received the benefit? He, he wasn't aware of it, though. Has, but hasn't the owner received an unjust enrichment from yes. this kid's thing? Yes. He's, he's 80 bucks ahead. Are you going to give the kids just 20 bucks? No. No, because? You did, the owner was wasn't no aware of it. There was no offer made. And he wasn't aware of it. The owner was not aware of what. Kid comes over without talking to the owner and starts to mow the lawn. The owner looks out the window and says, that stupid kid. I never authorized him to mow my lawn. He wasn't. I've got no contract with this stupid kid. Let him finish. Wouldn't it still be the reasonable value of that, how much it would be, even though he saw him cut it? If he sees him, that's different. Well, that's he, what he, he said. didn't he's take any action. The window, and he's looking at him clean it, so he knows. Oh yeah, that's. Nobody's but it's, gonna do it for him. It's different than the first example. The first yes, example. Different from the first example. If the person sees. A benefit being conferred and does not take steps to stop it, then he is by then he is by implication consenting to the service if he if he knows that the person performing the services will expect to be paid. Well, let me ask you a question. Yes. You're out of town and there's been a big storm and a roofer comes by and puts a new roof on your house. And you come home and you got a new roof, and he's there with the bill. Right. I well, would thank him. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the roofer better get into another line of business. <laughs> What's the difference? Profusely, because he did not know it was occurring. He did not know it was occurring. He did not see it. He's not, ex he's not by implication, accepting this benefit by watching it happen. When you, when you said he was out of town, that's 
Well, when the kid mowed his lawn, he was gone too. The first, exam. the first one, and he didn't have to pay the kid. Okay. Okay. But when he sees the kid mow the lawn, even though he says, "I never authorized that kid to mow my lawn," but if he allows the kid to proceed, then he is saying, "I am willing to accept this benefit, knowing that he expects to be paid." And the kid actually became so small claims court, and the reasonable cost of the lawn is a hundred bucks. Is going to get more than his twenty. Suppose a neighbor sees the roofer on the neighbor's roof, making it new, and the owner of the house is in Europe. But he calls it the neighbor and says, "There's some strange guy on your house putting on a new roof." And you say, "Fine." I don't care, and you hang up. Now, it's by phone that you're aware that there's being a new roof put on the house. If he has, you know what's going to happen? He has knowledge. They're going to come in front of you, judge, and you're going to have to say, "What am I going to do?" Is that telephone call enough to say he knew what was happening? Does he have to? Does Does he ask any questions and say? And he comes to you and he says, "Hey." My neighbor and I play, play jokes on each other all the time. He told me my roof had blown off and some guy's putting a new roof on. I says, thanks for calling, Joe. Goodbye. <laughs> Are you going to find that he now knows that the roof is being put on? And when he says, who calls you and say that somebody's putting a roof on your house? So you have to see it yourself, is what you're saying. I don't know, Judge. I'm not there. <laughs> you have to be able to prove any knowledge. I would, I, if a guy came in and said, hey, I got a telephone call from my neighbor. We're playing jokes all the time. Did he ask you any questions, neighbor, about this? No, he, I just told him, he says, yeah, okay, goodbye. I think the guy that's putting the rough on this is doing good things. You got to get a little tighter than that for me. Okay, thank you. Okay. Uh, let's see. <coughs> Failure of consideration. Let's go quickly there. Now again, most of these questions, what I try to do is refer the judges back up to the uh, instructions to get the answers. For example, Roger builds a house for Susan. He completes installing some plumbing pipes under the foundation and completes the concrete foundation before he walks away from the project. He has performed approximately one-tenth of the total project. Query, is Roger entitled to collect for the value of the work as performed or is Susan free of her responsibility on the contract because of his breach? Now, this is where we talk about material. What we have are two forms of breaches. If you go up to your con, you go up to your Roger instructions. Contends there's been a failure of consideration or a material breach, okay, which is so important to the contract, it defeats the very purpose of the contract. We have material breaches, we have breaches that are non-material. Key to this instruction is simple for the court to determine if the breach of the contract is so severe that it relieves the other party of any responsibility to complete the contract. It is referred to as a material breach. 
and it is different when the court decides that failure to fully perform is minor as compared to the project in whole. What would you do, for example, one where he completes the foundation? Would you refer to that as a material breach or an immaterial breach? Does anybody? Material. Material breach. It's one tenth of the project, so I would say yes. This guy could walk away and get nothing. You know, there's a material breach, which he's not going to be able to say, gee, I performed some contract, I performed a benefit. No, you are in breach of a contract. You have a duty and obligation to do this. This is a material breach, and I'm not going to do it. Okay. Example, Roger uses plastic plumbing instead of copper in the kitchen in building the house for Susan. She objects and asserts that he is in breach of the written plans and specifications and therefore does not owe him any money. This material or immaterial? Higher house, some piping in the kitchen. There may be two things the court could do in this. There is a breach of the contract. So, so the contract was not filled, the contract was not filled for the, there is a breach. And she says, Your Honor, I, I'm not asking you to reduce the price of the house so I can have plastic pipes. I'm asking you to give me the, the amount of money it's going to take for me to remove the plastic pipes and replace them with copper pipes. So you might have two ways to go in deciding how to handle the breach of the contract. If it became so hideously expensive to make that change, much more than the value, they come in and they say, Your Honor, this is brand new plastic pipe, this is this is future stuff. This is to take place of, you know, this will take place of copper pipes because copper is getting too scarce anyway. It is not worth the money. It's to, to, to tear out everything and replace it with pipes. Then you would take that into consideration if the cost was so forth. You would have to look at the value and say no, but I am going to reduce the price that the contractor will get because there was a breach and the parties did not get what they wanted. Um, all municipalities have specific plumbing codes requirement. And so before that could be decided. Well, we're assuming that that meets the code, but okay. there are people who want a certain type of, a certain that. type of thing. Right. I, in other words, I want this type of brick, I want this type of piping, I want this type of thing. That's what I want. This type of page, that's what specifications are for. Because, and, and it's these breach of these specifications. Mr. Barnes, we've yeah. been, at it, been at it an hour. Would you like to take a break? Yes, they'd like to take a break. Okay. I'm sure they would. 
10 minutes, there's a Coke machine down the hall a little bit to the south. Uh, let's be back in here at 15 minutes past the hour. And the restrooms are right next to the where the where the coke machine is. The evaluation. This is evaluation. This is evaluation. Thanks. It takes two days to apply for it to be awarded a license. Richard hires another contractor to do the job. Bruce sues on the basis that the date he was to get the license was meaningless as per the contract construction was not to start for over a month. Query, what does Bruce get? Hey, it's a meaningless, it's a meaningless thing. The contract's not even start till a month from now. The fact that I didn't, I didn't have that license by that day is meaningless and unfair, Your Honor. He still didn't meet the conditions. What? He did not meet the conditions. No, but when was the decision made? The decision was made when he found out, look, he had not received the license. It takes two more days to get the license. Ergo, it's impossible for him to get the license by this, by the, the date that I was set. Therefore, I have an anticipatory, I can anticipate now that this contract's gonna be breached, even though the breach date has not yet arrived. What happens in this is you hire a contractor, you read in the paper your contractor's gone bankrupt. By reading the paper your contractor has gone bankrupt, you can assume that there's going to be an anticipatory breach. His matters now is going to be under the trustee and he's out of business and if you can anticipate ahead of time that there's going to be a breach, you are qualified to take action now to cover yourself in regard to the fact that there will be no contract. Third party beneficiary, number 15. Example, Daddy Big Bucks wants to build a house for his newly wedded daughter. He gives builders plan among plans and specifications with a clear notation that the house was being built as a gift for his daughter using only the best materials. After the house is completed, his daughter Susan finds out that the house was built with substandard materials. She sues the builder who claims she is not a party to the contract and asks the judge to dismiss the action for lack of standing. Susan is not a signor or signee on that contract. Ergo, she comes to your court and sues the contractor for a breach of contract. And the contractor says, Your Honor, I don't even know who this woman is. I entered into a contract with the father. If he wants to sue me, Fine. But dismiss this action. 
no standing. She's not a party to this agreement. You can kick her out or not. Kick make her him out. sue the make him sue the signer of the agreement. Kick her out. Yes. She had, but was she aware that the house was being built for her at the time? No. Well, then she needs to department. she needs to have knowledge of it, rely on it, or sue on it. Well, I guess no. It was going to be a gift to her. Father comes and says, "Here you are, daughter. This house is this house been built with the best materials." She, she has no standing for the daughter. The contractor knew Big Box would not be living in the house. It was the daughter's house, so he knew from the start it was hers. She would be living in it. If if uh, if she were allowed to sue, what would stop the father from coming down at a later time and suing as a party to the actual contract? Because he would be a necessary party. He could be joined as a necessary party if the contractor said, you know, you have to join the father as a necessary party. The question is, though, can the daughter sue on her own? I'd say so, no. Yeah. I'd say no. The answer to that is yes. As long as a person knows that a contract has been entered into for the benefit of a third party, that third party has standing to sue. The key to this is the contractor was informed this house is being built for the benefit of my daughter. Once the contractor knows that, that he is doing something, the benefit of which is to be conferred on a third party, the third party now is given standing to come in and say, you breached this contract. It's called a third party beneficiary. All right, number 60, good faith and fair dealing. This is a matter of law that everybody basically is required to act in good faith and Example, Susan's wrote a contract with the state to complete a section of road. Sam, excuse me, I said Susan. He contracts with Rufus to complete the paving. Rufus has seriously underbid his contract, under, underbid the project, and faces severe economic loss if he has to perform. He sends some anonymous letters to the state advising that Sam is ill-prepared to do the job. His equipment is substandard, and he's always been late in performing any contract. The state decides to cancel a contract with Sam. Rufus is now off the hook. <coughs> okay? What rights does Sam have, if any? Yeah. I'm not sure it can if the state has the authority to cancel a contract. Well, if, it, if they have the authority, then he would lose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming when the state go enters it, they have authority. But who Sue, caused this? Sue Rufus. 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 What did he do? But he sent anonymous letters. Contractual interference. So, so he cannot. 
A party cannot take any action designed to interfere with the contract in order for get him or her out of having to perform. That is would be against the good faith and fair dealing. Second example, Francis contracts with Kevin to construct a business office using a very rare and special kind of wood that's hard to find in short supply. Kevin gives Francis a bid on the project, accepted. Later, Francis finds another contractor who is willing to do the job much cheaper. Francis encourages the other contractor to hurry and buy up all the local supply of the rare wood. Kevin tells Francis he cannot get the wood required in order for him to complete the contract. Francis cancels the contract and hires a substitute contract for much less money. <coughs> okay, what can she do? She can sue the guy who breached this contract by taking action that was contrary to good fair play. 17. All right, again, take the, take the time to read the Raji instructions. We'll give you answers to most of these. Example, William agrees to paint George's house for 15000 He figures his cost of material and labor will come to twelve seven. George cancels the contract. What does George owe William? <coughs> question? What does George owe William? Contract to the bill. What? Contract amount? Yeah. <coughs> okay, what if William has not yet gone out and bought any materials or paint or whatever? The profit. Has not incurred costs for anything yet. The Are you going to give him the 12000 or the no. 15000 No, just as profits, what he would have okay. what he would have made. So you'd have to take into account, I haven't done this yet. What is my, what is my problem? Have you bought any paint? Have you bought any wood? No, you don't have anything. But you are entitled to the profit on the contract, 3000 Okay? Now they come to you and they say, but your honor, I spent 100 hours Figuring what this is worth, my time is worth 50 bucks an hour. So in addition to the 3,000, I've got 50 bucks an hour times 100. I need $5,000 for my labor, for my labor. No, outside the bounds of the contract. Yeah. It's all part of doing business. Yeah. Part of the bid. That's part of the bid. Do we even know what it, what a reasonable figure, hourly figure would be for his services? <coughs> Is there any basis for us or that he just comes in and claims it? And again, you have no basis to say your services are worth $50 or $50 an hour. They may be worth four bucks an hour by the way you, by the way you do business. So you have to take into account what is the loss. William hires George to design to build a house with 10 bathrooms for 300,000. George sets out to design the house, hires a famous architect who helps complete the plan that costs George 20 grand for the design. William changes his mind and cancels the deal. What does George owe William? 
same thing. Okay, if George is out that 20000 he's going to get his things, he's going to get whatever cost he has it there. Okay, consequential damages. Let's talk about that, number 18. Consequential damages, I'm, I'm down to my comments under the line, are not stated in the contract. To collect consequential damages, the first element stated above is a key. Go up to one, it was foreseeable to the parties that when they entered into the contract, that these damages would probably result if the contract was breached. Muriel operates a restaurant. She needs to complete electrical update of her electrical system in order to conform to the code and remain in business. Every day she is not open impacts her ability to maintain business. Garth promises to start and complete the job in no more than three business days. Because he was not fully prepared to start, it takes 10 days, but the job is completed to the contract specifications. What kind of damages might Muriel collect? She expected to be closed for three days. She's closed for 10. Does she have a claim, perhaps, for seven days of lost profits? If it was due to his lack of preparation. If it is foreseeable when you enter a contract that your failure to perform could have some possible expected consequences, then your breach, that breach, exposes you to those consequential damages. They are not direct damages arising out of the contract. They are what they call consequential damages that they're not in the contract per se, but it, it's, it's understood that this could happen if you don't fulfill the contract. Carl hires a private airplane to fly in Seattle for a special meeting that could result in a substantial problem. He inquires if the plane is ready and prepared to get him to Seattle no later than 12.30. He receives assurance and a promise that he will arrive on time. Alas, the plane has to make an emergency landing in Tacoma and Carl misses his meeting. Quote, query, Carl sues. What can he collect? Wasn't foreseeable. that example and the first example? One was foreseeable, one was not. I don't think, it, unless Carl says, I have to be there by 12.30 for a substantial meeting, that if I'm not there, it will cause me substantial profits. Can you guarantee that I will be there by 12.30? Now, even going that far, 
I'm not sure that he can collect in the as a result of a consequence of emergency in the airplane. But if he were to say, I cannot afford in any way not to be there, you need to take into account any possible emergency that might happen because if I'm not there, so forth. So if you are, if you are entered into a contract, what you say can depend on what your what your rights are. If you want to hire a plane, say I need to be there by 12:30. Yeah, we arrive by 12:30. You sure? Yeah, we all were there by 12:30. Okay. If the plane person has no knowledge that there is something that the consequential damages could occur, he's not going to be liable for consequential damages. You have to be aware that consequential damages could appear. Let's look at 19 lost profits a little bit. Let me see what we go here. Now these lost profits are called now direct and natural consequences of the breach. They are not unknown. Um, yeah, they are direct and the natural consequences of the breach. Example. Karen goes into business selling green cards. She has done extensive research on the cost of doing business and studied success stories of seven different businesses like the one she planned. She finds what she thinks is a perfect location, hires a real estate agent to purchase a property that is for sale. She enters in for the contract for the construction of a store and contracts for the purchase of cards. A purchase of the land has a deadline date for closing. When she calls her agent, she finds out that he went on a drunken binge and failed to give the closing agent the necessary information, and the deal was lost and the property sold to someone else. Karen takes out her business plan, computes what she expected to make each year in business, and sues for the loss of her expected revenue for 10 years. What would you do if she limited her claim to only one year of expected profits. Now, she's come, she says she's done extensive research. Seven different business, like the one she plans. What is she gonna get? You get any lost profits? Get again. Okay, so how many things she's entitled to lost profits? How, she doesn't know what her profits will, will be. She didn't have any, she she have any profits. That's right. How do you establish that figure? With reasonable certainty. <laughs> With reasonable certainty that she said, I mean, she may have, she may have had such a, a lousy customer relationship that nobody would go in there for, for a year. You can't guess on that. Profits have to be, number three, amount of profits must be shown with reasonable certainty. The answer to these questions are basically in your, in your instructions. Sam runs a business selling supplies, has an order from a customer who has a deadline for delivery by Sam of the goods 
to the construction site. Before he agrees to the contract, he calls the supplier and tells him the date he needs the goods in order to complete his contract. He is assured he will receive from the factory the goods on time and on that basis places an order. The goods are delivered by Sam too late to be used and the customer has gone elsewhere. Let me see. Sam runs a business selling supplies, has an order from the customer. Goods are received by Sam too late to be used. What can Sam recover from the factory? So Sam orders some goods to be delivered to the construction site. Before he agrees, he calls the suppliers, tells them that he needs the goods in order to complete the contract. He's assured he'll receive them. Okay. So what do we have? What can Sam recover from the factory? Profit from the job. Profit from the job, you bet. He can show he has a contract for the gigs, he's promised delivery, he knows that there's a delivery date, and if he doesn't have a delivery date, then he will not be able to fulfill the contract. If he cannot fulfill the contract, he will lose his profits, he's entitled. Number 20 was sale of land. We don't deal in land, I'm gonna 20 and 21, let's get about that. Let's talk about a little bit about warranties, contract 22. And one of the things that's good to know about is are warranties. A warranty, and a lot of these are covered by the, I think by the Uniform Commercial Code, but when you buy something, there are a, a certain, there are different kind of warranties. If I go into Home Depot and I want to buy a ladder, and I want to buy a ladder because I was, actually I better do this right, because I'm a wife. My husband is 400 pounds and I want a good ladder. So I go in there and I said, I need a good ladder. Salesman said, this is really good ladder. Okay, so I buy the ladder, my husband gets on there, he falls through. Has there been a breach of any warranty? It says on the ladder, up to 350 pounds. Okay, there are several kind of warranties when you buy a product. One, a product must be fit for the normal purpose of what is to be used. Number two, a product must conform to the description on the box or in paperwork. Number three, you can, a product, you can rely upon the expertise of the seller to warrant the product is going to be for your purposes. If you walk into Home Depot and you say, I have a 450 pound husband, I need a ladder that will support that weight. The salesman picks you out a ladder and the ladder fails to support that weight. Home Depot has warranted by that action that that ladder will support 450 pounds. If you Put the burden on the seller to provide you what you are, your, to meet your requirements. 
the seller is, when it sells you the product, is warranting that that product will meet your specifications. If you go to a store that sells bicycles, and the guy says, I have a motorcycle out of back, would you like to buy the motorcycle? You say, yes. You come back and you say, this product will not perform according to, it won't even run. Therefore, there's a breach of warranty. Ergo, no warranty. Because you bought it from a bicycle shop. When a person sells you a product, and the person is in that business selling bicycles, and the bicycle is unfit for its purpose, then you can go back to the seller. If you go to a, somebody who is a business selling items, but they have some item that's not part of their normal business, and they get you to buy that item, you are not getting that same kind of warranty from the seller. So there are different warranties out there that people have the right to rely upon when they come into you and they say, I bought this product, but there's a breach of warranty. And they can tell, and you have to find out what warranty then are, your, are they breaching. I bought this toaster, toaster doesn't work. I plug it in, doesn't work. Breach of warranty of fitness for the purpose for which it's intended to be used. Seller must stand behind that warranty as well as the manufacturer of the item. Now, if the item is expensive enough that it comes to court, then warranties, uh, warranties may be uh, part of the things that you need to deal with. Okay, let's watch our time because we're going to get out of here. I, I think we'll get through here most of, most of this. Let's talk about mitigation of damages. Let's go to my comment underneath the line. And my comment may be helpful when we read these. The principal designed to protect the person who eventually be responsible to pay damages. He or she has the right to require the party who has been harmed by the breach to take a reasonable effort to lessen the amount of damages incurred in claim. This is one of the, this is one of the uh, defenses to a, a lawsuit that the plaintiff who is now suing you failed to take action to reduce the amount of damages. And that is a very valid legal defense. Pete assembles and maintains racing cars. He has ordered to replace 10 race cars with new engines and will produce no less than 650 horsepower. Time for the big race in one month. He orders from the factory 10 automobile engines warranted to produce no less than 650 horsepower and tells the factory as a deadline for delivery as he has to install the engines for a race. After installing the engines, but before the race, it's obvious that they produce no more than 500 horsepower. If he fails to deliver the cars to the racers in time for the race, he faces 10 lawsuits and possible rule, but he can claim all his damages resulting from the factory breach of warranty. He could get engines from another factory, 
but it would take a lot of time and effort and he just does not want to go through the hassle and does nothing. Query, what damages can Pete claim for the factory's breach of warranty? Query, what defenses do Pete's claim for damages does the factory have? Okay, the question is, he knows that he is now at risk from the people who he's supposed to live in cars. He knows with a great amount of effort he could fulfill that contract by getting engines from another source, which, the, however, he would have to go to a lot of work, pull the new engines out, put the new engines in, and decided, hey, I don't care. If they sue me, I could just turn around and sue the factory because I told the factory I had a deadline and the factory was a breach and I don't have to sweat it. Factory's going to come back and say, wait a minute. He's asking, he could have fulfilled, his, fulfilled, his, fulfilled the contract, and it would have cost him 20% more than the normal contract price. The additional cost to him would have been 20%, as opposed to him doing nothing and suing us and being sued by 10 people for thousands if not millions of dollars and then trying to come, come back to us and say, because you did not deliver the engines you promised, these are my damages and I can hold you responsible for them. So if a party has an opportunity to reduce or mitigate the damages, he'll do so. Christmas tree. Guys need this Christmas trees for Christmas. They do not come. He can say, hey, I'll just take Christmas off and I'll sue you. But if it could be that he could have, with a telephone call, turned around and got Christmas trees somewhere else for $5 more a tree, his damages are $5 more a tree. If he didn't do that, and if he says, I lost $100 a tree by not being able to be in business, you failed to deliver trees to me, I would have sold 1,000 trees at $100, so it was 100,000 bucks. That was my lost profits, right? Minus the cost of the trees. Or I could buy 1,000 more trees for five bucks more $5,000 more it cost me, what are my damages? $5,000. If he fails to mitigate those damages, then it's, uh, then he's not going to be able to collect the full amount if he had to do the mitigate. Okay, quantum, let's see here. There is no contract. The principle is used where the acts of the party determine whether the court can and should grant a party some relief where the circumstances suggest that fairness and justice will be served by applying the principle. Quantum merit, there is no contract. 
Example, church pastor asked some members to go paint a widow's house as a service project. John expecting others to help, ends up going to alone, paints the house with paint provided by the church and asks the widow for enough money to have his car repaired, which is far less than the value of the paint job. The widow being told by the pastor that this was a service project turns him down. John claims that the widow has received a benefit as a result of his services takes her to small claims court for the value of the improvements made to her property. How do you rule? Quantum Barrier up you go up to the up to the uh, Raji instructions. Entitled to recover the reasonable value of the services rendered unless you find that either one of two things was true. Not entitled to recover for services if it was understood that the services would be rendered free of charge. May not recover service you find that another circumstance was not unfair to receive the benefit, so forth. What are you gonna do about number one? John claims, I did not expect to do this all by myself, but when I did, I should have some kind of compensation for the, for the uh, services received. Is he going to get anything? No. No. Go no. so right up to the top. Smith has a huge yard. He's often heard complaining about the effort it takes to mow it. I've done that. We've talked about that already. But the kid comes and does it on his own. And uh, we've already covered that. Where he looks at it and uh, and he sees the service being given and uh, and receives it. All right, let's, we've got a couple more minutes, then we're done. Whether a standardized term is part of the agreement. When someone signs an agreement, has reason to know that what he, she is signing is standardized form, which is regularly used in that kind of transaction. He or she is bound by the terms, regardless of whether he or she actually read or understood those terms. What you're going to hear oftentimes, and I have heard, I had a case where an old couple put down $750 to hire an inspection on a house. They signed the Binzer. Do you know what a Binzer is? On a house, when you buy a house, a Binzer is a statement of all the things that you want answers on you want completed by before you're willing to buy this house. Once you sign the Binzer, you have waived everything. The woman signed the Binzer on, on uh, termites because there was a because there was a termite contract. Then she started getting concerned about it and and got mad and sued the seller and three realtors for the $750 that they put down on the house to get an inspection. According to the standard terms of the contract, those expenses are theirs. It's their expense. The seller did everything he could to acquaint them about termites. 
told me to take them on there, told the termite company, release the information. They go to an attorney and the attorney brings a lawsuit against the, the sellers and three realtors for $750, which the contract says belongs to her client. This thing goes to, goes to trial. I'm the judge. I asked the woman, did you sign this piece of paper? Yes, you are, but I didn't read it. And she signed the Benzer saying, I'm satisfied with termites, I'm satisfied with everything. Once she signs that thing, saying I'm satisfied, she cannot use that as a basis to get out of the contract. The attorney, for 750 bucks, she hired, instead of going to small claims, she hires an attorney to take her to court, sue four, four people, he goes to trial and loses the trial because, because everything's in writing. The defense counsel says, I'm the hottest attorney in town and I should get $15,000 for my representative defendant. And I'm sure that the plaintiff's attorney didn't do it for any less than five or six or seven. As far as I was concerned, what I saw in that courtroom was, was malpractice at the highest degree. For the, for the attorney to bring her clients in, for $750, which was in the contract, was their, was their responsibility anyway, subjected the woman attorney, her clients, to uh, hundreds of times more than we were trying to get them $750 back. Why, why, now when, that, when they appealed that, which I thought was great. I just put in my, I just cited every condition of the written contracts that I thought applied to the situation in support of my decision, and that's the last I ever heard of it, because it was all there in writing. What was your decision again? My decision was that she, she didn't get anything. When she, when, she signed, when she signed the Benzer saying that termites were of no concern, she had no right to sue breach of the contract based on the fact that she couldn't get enough information after deciding the Benzer about the contract. What she couldn't get the information from was the company that had the contract on there. She had, still had a five-year, there was a five-year contract of termites. That the house had been constantly treated by termites but she couldn't get the information from the termite company in detail enough to satisfy her, and so brought suit. But she brought suit after she signed the Benzer saying, termites are no concern to me. Okay, we're done. Now, I want you to know that Judge Toby and I have entered into a contract. <laughs> I have agreed to do this. He's agreed to toss out 6% of negative comments. <laughs> uh, some of you have a little evaluation sheet. We really would appreciate.
appreciate you filling that out and send it in. If you don't have one, I've got extras here. here. Uh, it'll help us in planning future classes. Uh, and anything you want to comment on, it would be appreciated. Times, places, dates, uh, subject matter, any way that we can make this a better experience for you. It's uh, our goal, so fill that out and uh, drop it off as you leave here or write me an email and uh, unload them. Tell, tell me uh, where, we're, where we're not living up to it. So uh, thank you for coming. I will be, be invited also with you. I'll be sending out a copy of your path floor, which is your list of classes you've taken um, very shortly. Uh, you can look at it and see if you're going to have your uh, whether it is four hours for a hearing officer and six hours for a pro tem uh, very shortly and, uh, and uh, then you can plan yourself on the other classes we've got coming up. But thank you for coming. If anybody wants to know bids, there is a buyer's inspection notice and seller's response. Standard, standard real estate document. What's the other one? It's got a funny name. Sellers Yes, I'll probably want to talk to you in a while about that. Judge, you want me to end this? Where would you like these? Oh, just throw it in the box. You want this stop, Judge? Yep, I don't think there's any.